Well, welcome back to another episode of Bite-Sized Virtue. This is the seventh episode of our second season. So again, we've moved past Easter. We are now into the Easter season. Lent is behind us. Pentecost is ahead of us. And we are continuing this week the discussion with Clortos Dragon about the principle of love and the virtue of compassion and how these two aspects of the philosophy that forms much of Ultima lore, I mean, not all of it, obviously, Ultima 8 happened, Ultima 7 Part 2 Serpent Isle happened, and they presented very different philosophical systems to the player. But let's face it, the eight virtues have been the predominant philosophical system that uh, fans of Ultima have been exposed to since Ultima 4. So we will continue looking at the principle of love, the virtue of compassion, and discussing how these intersect with real-world philosophy, and actually not just philosophy, now that I think about it. Now, okay. Obviously, the eight virtues were drawn, well, the three principles at any rate. I mean, the the eight virtues were drawn out of the three principles and how they all kind of cross-combine. The three principles were, in no small part, drawn out of Frank L. Baum's The Wizard of Oz. So, love is represented by the Tin Woodsman. Now, I mean, I did some reading on the Tin Woodsman and... the going interpretation is that he's intended as a critique of the dehumanization that um, attends industrialization, right? I mean, thinking back to, you know, essentially Dickensian times, if you will, right? <clears throat> that sort of ramp, uh, rapid industrialization and the attendant um dehumanization or diminishment of the humanity of, you know, like factory workers and the like. So that's kind of what Tin Man is meant to represent, or that's what it's thought at any rate. But, you know, even there, um, you still kind of get this idea of empathy and um, that, that comes into it, right? Because, you know, we're meant to lament the fact that Tin Woodsman has lost his humanity, has lost, um, you know, certain intrinsic things about himself. And of course, throughout the story, um, Tin Woodsman demonstrates great reserves of compassion, of empathy, of mercy for the world around him, even prior to, you know, meeting the wizard. So... I mean, obviously some of it's drawn out of that, but then that just leaves open the question of, well, where was Baum's influence? <laughs> you know, where did Frank L. Baum get the, uh, get those ideas from? Because at the end of the day, you know, you, you're exactly right that that kind of thinking will, you know, inexorably, uh, I mean, it's, it's so easily derived from scripture or alternatively you could think of it as saying, well, it'll also lead you back there. Um, because again, that form of love and that expression of love in compassion and in mercy and in empathy for the world around you really is the, the, the heart of, you know, what Christ taught us 
I think it was C.S. Lewis that uh, had something along the lines of, you know, uh, addressing the concepts of agnosticism and atheism. I believe it was in Mere Christianity, where he poses the question, you know, why do we feel bad when we don't send our mother a birthday card? You know, why, why do we feel bad when we've done something to hurt somebody? Uh, is that an inherited trait or, you know, or is there something else going on? Um, and, and I think that's a valid question to, to ask. Um, but it, it's sort of like where you see these things uh, manifested in media and things like that. Um, you know, they, they all have a source. So, um, you know, for example, I, I, you know, one of the moments I think that I mentioned to you when, you know, when we were talking about doing this was uh, Lord British at the end of Ultima five, instead of putting Lord Blackthorn to death, uh, he simply exiles him in an act of, you might say, love and compassion. Um, and, it, and, and it's really interesting that in Ultima, you have technically what is a, well, I mean, let's just say it, it's, it's essentially a godless world. <laughs> I mean, I don't say that to, I don't, I don't mean that to say that it's a bad place. I'm just saying that uh, you're talking about a role-playing game system where the setting has been primarily uh, absent of deities to be worshipped. Yeah, Rather, definitely. Everything, everything has sort of a scientific... Uh, uh, veneer to it, but I, I think I think what you're saying is on point in that you see these influences come through. Um, for whatever reason, I'm not trying to. I, I don't cast any. Uh, I don't have any kind of uh, intimations that Richard Garrett was intentional in any of these things. Um, I think the best artists and the best authors uh, will try to distance themselves from saying that, oh, yeah, well, this this is an allegory for this, and this is an allegory for that, because when you do that, you limit the uh, appeal of whatever product you're putting out there. Uh, you want it to be able to be picked up and seen as, okay, this is this corresponds with this or this corresponds with that. Um, but but it's interesting how, how love uh, permeates, and I hope that, <laughs> that comes across the right way. Um, it shows us, and I, again, this is just me. I'm not. I'm not trying to push this on anybody, but it shows me how much Jesus really changed the world. Because you know, I, ancient concepts of this type were really not to be seen, at least not in the most extreme ways that we see it in Christ. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> I'm just trying to think how to frame this next part, but I mean, there's the, the whole idea of, you know, having compassion, having mercy as being the, the ideal physical expression of our human participation in the highest form of love. I like that it's really 
I like that the depictions in Ultima that appear are almost always of, you know, I mean, it's, it's always going to be the bard, right? The bard is always going to be the character bestowing compassion wherever it's depicted. But, you know, again, come back to the examples that I mentioned, you know, you have the bard um, attending the beggar, you have the bard comforting the now homeless child in a moment of tragedy. It's interesting that... I think what's almost more, you know, what's more interesting to me about the virtues is the fact that there's never really, at least not that I can think of, you know, and I mean, this is kind of illustrated very well, not with compassion, but with humility in Ultima 6, right? You know, this whole idea of, well, who is the most humble person in New Magentia? Well, it's the one guy who will happily disavow uh, any particularly unique humility at all, right? It's Connor. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, despite being a non-theistic uh, philosophical system, there's really not a lot of, there's not a lot of boastfulness to the virtues, there's not a lot of, um, it's not really, no one's really Pharisaic about the virtues, right? There's never this, um, or at least there's not much of a, you know, dichotomy between someone who outwardly lives the virtues, but then internally within his or his or her own soul, um, doesn't enshrine them there, you know, doesn't, uh, let them sort of animate them internally. Uh, and, and that's very much, you know, uh, again, you know, that's very much in line with, uh, a lot of the stories we do see in the gospels where, you know, the people who manifest holiness through observation of the law are also the ones who are then most scandalized by, um, Jesus's repeated showing of mercy to the downtrodden, to the outcasts, to, you know, the people who are objectively engaged in, you know, stuff that's not good, not good for them, not good for society as a whole. So, um, that was another thing that kind of really, uh, always got me about the virtues is the fact that the only thing that has actually really bothered me about the virtues is the fact that they're always presented as being opposed to each other or, you know, somehow in conflict, right? Um, which is weird, right? Like, you know, I mean, you think about all the different questions that uh, are part of the character creation process. Do you show valor or do you show compassion? Do you show justice or do you show honesty? things like that. It's weird to me, this idea that a virtue can run contrary to a virtue, right? The two virtues could be competing with each other. Uh, I mean, to my mind, virtues should only ever be complementary, right? They should reinforce each other. So, and that's weird too, because I mean, if you think about it, you know, how many times do we have, you know, how many times have we playing the Ultima games had to square off 
compassion against justice or against sacrifice or against spirituality, all of these other virtues. And yet all of them are animated in whole or in part by the principle of love. It's really, really weird that, you know, you can have this situation where you have one principle, love, that gives itself in whole or in part to four of the virtues. And yet those four virtues can often contradict. That's always been, you know, my one sore spot with the eight virtues is the fact that and I mean, I I get that, you know, these aren't really I, I get that we're always only ever going to be overanalyzing here because obviously, you know, for as much research as Richard Garriott did to, you know, bring them to life, it's you know, it, it's obvious that um these are not the works of, you know, um the deepest of philosophers, right? And I don't really want to, I'm trying to pick words here that, you know, uh, won't sound like I'm trying to insult Richard Garrett because that's not my intent. But, you know, obviously he needed to design something that could be then represented as a fairly simplistic game system for character creation. And so there is sort of this uh, philosophical um, simplicity to the eight virtues. So, I mean, you know, obviously getting too in depth is, is always going to be a little bit perilous, but uh, again, it was always that contradiction that, uh, or that, you know, the fact that the virtues were played off each other, um, despite the fact that, you know, each of the three principles informed a number of them, uh, that always bothered me. Well, at the end of the day, they're, they're still games and, yeah. you know, uh, now granted they're games that technically, if you wanted to do a term paper on Ultima, you could do that. And I'm sure people have done that in the past, but, uh, I think again, I think you're right in that, uh, sort of that veneer, that philosophical veneer is there. And I mean, again, it's another area where, uh, there are things about Ultima that you don't find in really any other video game properties, um, video computer game, whatever. Um, but I do want to address real quickly um, what we talked about just a moment ago, because what you said about people not, uh, you know, not internalizing the virtues. I may, I may, I don't want to misrepresent what you said there, but uh but one thing about the virtues that you notice in the games is in the development of it, they're not, uh, the virtues are not evangelistic. Um, they're not a credo that people say, well, you must live this way. Not um, really, no. Uh, unless, unless you're from Serpent Isle. Or and, Ultima uh, Five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which that that would probably be the biggest one of the biggest differences I would see. You know, if you're holding up the virtues as a system to live by next to, for example, Christianity, um, you know, the scriptures kind of tend to tend to show fairly plainly that Christianity is something that's meant to be evangelistic. You're supposed to be, you know, Jesus says in, in Matthew five sixteen, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So. 
so there is a sense now, now there was a balance there and you mentioned the Pharisees, which the Pharisees, uh, a lot of their problem was the reason that they were doing these things. Um, and this is something that a lot of people, uh, will just sort of automatically think, or a lot of, a lot of the teaching comes out that, well, the Pharisees were just strict with the law and they were just, you know, uh, if, if we were to look at the Ultima games, um, a lot of people in terms of uh, the Pharisees might associate the Pharisees with Blackthorn's rule in Ultima five, where Blackthorn basically turned the virtues into laws and enforced them and said, if you're not going to be this way, then there's going to be consequences. Um, And yes, the Pharisees did that, but they did that in such a way that they were holding to supposedly the law of Moses and adding on their own laws that they had made. And that's, that's getting into a whole, whole different thing. I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to chase rabbits here, but uh, my whole point is that their reason for doing it that, you know, and, and you, you could distill that into why, why do you love, you know, why, if you are loving towards someone, why, what's the reason? Because, uh, Jesus said plainly that the the Pharisees and and the Jewish ruling system of, of the day uh, was full of hypocrites, people who were doing things uh, not to be seen of God, but to be seen of mankind. They wanted the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And yeah. so maybe that question needs to be raised. Maybe. I mean... <sighs> I'm trying to remember how this was formulated um, because this came up on one of the podcasts actually that I was listening to earlier today. And I just wish I'd written this down now because it's kind of relevant. It's – and and I mean you mentioned it in part, right? Like it, nobody could accuse the Pharisees of not following the law. You know, like that was the whole thing. But um, at the same time, you can follow a law to its letter – and, and and this is true just in the world in general. You can follow a law to its letter and not understand the reason why it's a law in the first place, you know? <clears throat> and that was, I think, another big problem um, that was highlighted in the Pharisees is that, you know, yeah, sure, the law says do this and do that and do it in this way. And they did. And they did it repeatedly and they did it conspicuously. And they didn't really get why, you know, there was never this understanding of why, why does it have to be done that way? All right. Well, that's where I'm going to cut it off for another night. I thank you again for listening and I hope you enjoyed everything that was discussed. We will be coming back to the topic again next week, moving a little bit closer to Pentecost and moving a little bit closer to the end of the Easter season. Big thanks again to Glortos for contributing to this. Uh, definitely, I find I enjoy his insights. I hope you do too. And until next time, until next week, be virtuous. <laughs>